In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Got a riddle for you to start this morning. What can you sleep on, drive in, and do your hair with? I'm seeing a whole lot of blank faces or people who are just thinking about what they're going to have for lunch. I'm not sure which one it is. No answers? A bed, a car, and a comb. I mean, it's pretty simple, isn't it? It's quite straightforward. See, sometimes issues can be so simple that we actually don't see the obvious answer that's staring us in the face. And I think that's especially true when it comes to looking at a book like Acts. People can often get carried away looking for tricky answers inside this book when the glaringly obvious answer is right there in front of you. Acts is one of those books that's been a bit of a happy hunting ground for uh, some very strange ideas that we've seen in churches, uh, particularly in the last few decades. Uh, Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking through these first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. And as we look at Acts, we need to make sure that we're clearly seeing what we're supposed to be seeing here in this book, what we're supposed to learn from this book. And there's a helpful distinction that we need to understand before we start looking at the book of Acts. Uh, It's that the book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's telling, it's describing what did happen, not telling us that all of these things need to happen for us. Just because something happens in the book of Acts doesn't mean that we should expect that it's going to happen in our lives or in our church. Sometimes writers are just describing what happened, telling us, not saying that we should copy it, but telling us that this is the thing that actually took place. 
So with that in mind, let's get on with looking at the book. Luke opens this book by connecting it to his previous gospel, uh, his account of the life of Jesus. And he says right there, verse number one, in my former book, Theophilus, I about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. He says that it was about what Jesus began to do. And the clear implication is that this book is about what Jesus continues to do. But now the work of Jesus is being carried out by his apostles, the people that he appointed, the 11 that were left after Judas took his own life, the 11 people who were the followers of Jesus during his life and his ministry. And they're going to be preaching the gospel And it's going to be work that's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus continues to be the main character of the book of Acts. So the book opens just a month or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, it opens 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We know that because it happens at what happens in the opening chapter of this book is another Jewish festival called Pentecost which I didn't know until yesterday, means 50 days. It's 50 days after the Passover. So the disciples have spent pretty much most of the last 50 days with Jesus before he ascends into heaven. And they're still not sure exactly what's going to happen or what it is that they're supposed to be doing. So we have their question there in verse number 6. So when they met together, they asked him, that is, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And have a look at the answer that Jesus gives. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The kingdom has come in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has defeated sin and death through his death on the cross. And the kingdom will come as the disciples take that message to the ends of the earth. They are to start in Jerusalem, then go a little wider to the Judea, which is the area around Jerusalem, and then to the north, to Samaria, to the old part of the kingdom of Israel. And from there, they are to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In fact, that's pretty much the index for the book of Acts. Chapters 1 to 7, the gospel being spread through, through around Jerusalem. And then in 8 to 11, we see the gospel go to Judea and Samaria. And from chapter 12 onwards, the gospel starts spreading right throughout the whole Roman Empire. But to really understand these these opening chapters of Acts, we need to be familiar with a couple of Old Testament prophecies that were made. See, in Jesus' day, the people were still clinging to the hope that God was going to rescue the people and just re-establish the kingdom in Israel. The reason they had hope at all was because God had promised that he would still do that. But here are some of the promises that they were waiting for. This one comes from the book of Jeremiah. 
The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people, with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. A new covenant, God says, a better covenant. And not just a new covenant, God promised to change people. And we have promises like this in the book of Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. And then promises like this in Joel. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. A new covenant. A covenant where God writes his law on our hearts by his spirit. So chapter 2 opens in the book of Acts with the disciples still waiting in Jerusalem. They're gathered when suddenly something like a wild wind engulfs them and there appear to be these tiny flames that uh, sit on top of their head and we're told that they are filled with the Holy Spirit and that they begin to speak languages. Now crowded at Pentecost uh, there would have been people, Jewish people, from all over the Roman Empire who would have come back to Jerusalem for this special celebration. I mean, it even says that, Luke chapter 2, verse 5, uh, there were Jewish people from every nation under heaven. And when the people heard the commotion, the, the wind that was blowing, and, and they heard the disciples speaking in all of these other languages, uh, they went over to investigate and they were pretty stunned by what they saw. These visitors from other countries were able to hear in their own languages. These visitors could hear in their language what was being said. Now Luke's trying to stress something important here. It's a, a significant thing that there are people there from every nation, a significant thing that they can hear this in their own language. And as if to drive the point home, Luke actually lists the countries that all of people, these people have come from. Luke, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 7. Utterly amazed, they ask, these men are all, sp that are, sp these are not all these men who are speaking Galileans. Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and, and, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 
Great question. What does it mean? Language is still one of the great barriers in our world today. Oh, by the way, this is just a little map showing you where all of those people had come from to be at this festival in Jerusalem at that time. But language continues to be a barrier. I'm sure if you've ever seen uh, video from the United Nations, you'll see a whole bunch of people with headphones attached to their ears. They're the delegates from different countries. And what happens is that there are a huge number of little booths all around the main meeting room in the United Nations so that people can have the message that's being spoken from the lectern translated into their language so that they can hear it through the headphone that's on their ears. Language is a serious barrier on this planet. And what's happening here in Acts is that the language barrier has been completely removed. It'll be like all of the delegates taking the headphone off because they don't need it anymore, that they can understand what's being said because it's in their language. Do you know what I think this is? This is the Tower of Babel being undone. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel way back at the beginning of the book of Genesis? People had tried to be united without God. They tried to be united against God. And just like you don't let a kid play with a sharp knife, God did those people a favour by dividing them up into different languages. They all began to speak different languages. God was separating them for their own sake. Well, now God is removing the confusion, removing the language barriers. The unity that they were unable to achieve at Babel, God has achieved it in an instant here in the book of Acts. Well, all the people who were watching this were pretty gobsmacked by what they saw. They thought that the disciples might have actually been drunk, that that was what was happening. Uh, Peter insists that there weren't any early openers around there. It was nine o'clock in the morning. How could they possibly be drunk? What's happening is what God promised would happen. Peter quotes the section of the Old Testament in the, that I read from Joel before. Last days when God's going to pour out his spirit on his people. And Peter says... This is it. You're seeing with your own eyes what God had promised to do. God is pouring out his spirit on his people. And then Peter explains about Jesus. He tells them about Jesus' life, that he was clearly approved by God. He tells them about Jesus' death on the cross. And he tells them that God has raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heaven. And Peter says, everything you've seen here, tongues of fire, hearing things in your own language, it's all proof of one thing, that Jesus is Lord. And, Jesus, and, and Luke tells us that the people, when they heard this, were cut to their heart. Now remember, these are Jewish people from all different nations, but still all Jewish people. They knew what Peter was talking about. They knew the promises that God, has, God had made. I mean, they're there for a festival. They're still holding on to their faith. They're still wanting to believe that those promises are true and that God will do something. And Peter's saying, he's done it. 
all that they have just witnessed with their own eyes, well, it really just requires one question. When the brothers heard this, they were cut to the heart, it says, verse 37, and and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And there's only one answer to that. Peter tells them that they need to repent, turn around and be baptised. They have to recognise the situation that they are in, turn to God for forgiveness. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen, that the Holy Spirit would come and the disciples would bear witness to Jesus. We're told that 3,000 people became followers of Jesus that day. 3,000 people. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be there? Just in case you're wondering, that's what 3,000 people looks like. There's actually a website which gives you different numbers of crowds. And this was the 3,000 crowd, including the people up in the balconies there as well. 3,000 people came to trust in Jesus that day. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And look at what Paul uh, look at what Luke says that these new believers did. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They shared their possessions and they shared their lives. These people are now united because of Jesus. Their lives are transformed because of Jesus. So what's that got to do with us? How does what we read here in this passage connect with us sitting in Balmain 2,000 years later? I mean, it does seem a little removed from our experience, doesn't it? But what we read in Acts is the beginning of the very same organisation that we're part of. This church is formed because of what happened that day in Jerusalem. This church is being shaped by that same force that was at work back then, by God's spirit still being at work in the lives of his people. While a whole lot of stuff in the world may have changed, the things that they committed themselves to are the very same things that we ought to be committed to today, devoted to telling others about Jesus, devoted to the teaching of the apostles, devoted to showing love and concern to each other. Strange, isn't it? It's almost as though nothing has changed, that that's still the object for the church today. There is this long, unbroken line that stretches back from here to a bunch of people 2,000 years ago. We are committed to the same things that they were committed to, committed to seeing the message about Jesus go out into this world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Balmain. And we're committed to seeing that happen for the gospel to go to Balmain and to Portugal and to the Democratic Republic of the Congo and to Zimbabwe. 
And we're devoted to the teaching of the apostles. We don't have the apostles around with us, but we do have what they taught. We have it in the pages of the New Testament. And we're devoted to loving each other, showing concern for each other. And that's that's what Jesus said ought to make us stand out from the rest of the world, that we're actually concerned for each other. And people should see that. This church here in Balmain exists because there were faithful people 2,000 years ago who knew that the message of Jesus was the message that the world needed to hear. For all of the differences between us and them, and there are plenty of differences, we are part of the same organisation, committed to the same goals. And we'll see more of that as we look through Acts over these next few weeks.